0: Hi, and welcome to the Overflow podcast. I'm Chuck Ammons, lead pastor of Overflow Church in Brandon, Florida. And we are here to help you receive the Father's love and to release it to everyone you encounter everywhere. Wherever you're listening from today, your God adores you. I pray this message elevates and ignites your faith. On this podcast, you will find biblical messages to activate your faith so you experience the goodness of God and the greatness of your unique voice in his kingdom. To find out more about Overflow Church, visit us at overflowchurch.com or on Facebook at Overflow Church Brandon. We'd also love to encourage you to check out our book, Life in the Overflow, and its accompanying devotional on amazon.com. Come on, Overflow Church, I am excited this morning. So we have the joy of my dear brother and my friend. I want to tell you before he comes to speak a little bit about him. George and I've had the opportunity these last few years to really form an instant bond of connection together. George has been walking through almost 20 years now of sobriety and recovery and God called him pretty immediately into the realm on the front lines as a disciple maker for Christ to say, I want to change lives in your city and I've called the church to go be at the very heart of the gates of hell. And so he and his wife, Julie, moved to what I believe is like the most Dangerous intersection in all of Tampa, and that's not an exaggeration. They had the front window of their house was it last year? Yeah, shot out. So I got to sit in in the room where he t- is telling me this like right before a podcast, and like you know, don't look nervous. Okay, thanks, George. Um, <laughs> but they moved to this place right in the in the inner city because the freedom that George had experienced, he knew that Jesus was ready to pour out, and so they actually came and they moved as lifestyle missionaries right there. George began and started, founded the Timothy Initiative, a mentoring program for men where many of them have been entirely set free. And then he started the Sober Truth Project, which he leads right now. George has become an author of several books with my dear sister, Britt Eaton, and George's wife, Julie, has started a ministry right in the inner city about fighting homelessness. Guys, these are front lines, sons and daughters standing for justice in the kingdom of God. And so this is what I know. It's gonna be easy. I don't have to tell you to be inspired today. I don't have to tell you to be able to receive. I don't have to ask if you're gonna receive from George and what he's gonna share. What I wanna see is miraculous today. And so I see a receive and release taking place. And so I told George something. I said before I would let him speak, there's something that has to take place. Because if you can look and see, you'll see George and I look a little bit, a little different. Um, (laughs) George has a few more tattoos. How many tattoos do you have, George? I have no idea. I don't. I really don't have any idea. So I do have an (laughs) idea how many tattoos I I have. Um,
1: (laughs) It goes by body parts every while. (laughs) while, So I'm I'm sleeping How many arm ones? How many? My back is done. My arms are done. My chest is done. I don't have anything on the lower body. Well, wait a minute. Yes, I do. (laughs) do.
0: (laughs) Turn into confession here. Well, I tell you, as, as George and I have both walked, one of the things we've talked about is as different as we appear. There's a lot of rooms we can walk into and not know exactly how we're going to be received by certain parts of the global body of Christ. And God has given George and Julie as a gift to the Church of Tampa. And I think it is so important that before he speaks a word that we collectively receive from George. So I'm going to ask you to extend your hands toward him right now representing him and Julie, and I'm going to ask as I pray, would you be praying blessing right now? Jesus, we just say in your name that this son of yours, not this minister of yours, this son and this daughter in George and Julie that have surrendered and said yes in the same way The disciples said, we'll leave our nets. We'll follow everything. Father, they stand as a beacon of bold and courageous and compassionate obedience that the church of Tampa desperately needs. We don't simply say to George and Julie, you're welcome here. We say, we need you to come and lead. We receive your voice. And we stand now as the church for any place that believers have misunderstood, have walked in offense, have tried to silence, have added motive, And if any way blocked this message that is the very heart of God, may your healing balm now come to your son and to your daughter. May you position them so we don't simply say that we receive my friend George. We say that we are begging, we are earnest asking you, Father, release everything that you have to them and through them for the church of Tampa. And if you agree with that, say amen. Would you welcome with me my friend, George Wood.
1: Thank you, brother. Man, I I totally can't live up to that. So we're just gonna do the call to action now and end the day. Um, I think I should start off because I know my wife who's a real truth teller. She'd be like, you need to correct that story. The window wasn't shot out. They were just two feet on the other side of the window firing an AK-47, but they didn't hit the window. But my wife was on this side of the window with her back, it was in our driveway. It was probably July of last year. I guess it was July of last year, and um, you know it was middle of the day. Uh, I didn't plan on telling the story, so I may get it a little wrong. But um, it was the middle of the day, and um, you know all of a sudden, you know we have a carport that was converted into an office, which is now where Chuck and I shot a video. But it was my wife's office with. You know, her desk would be up against, I guess, where the driveway would have been. And so her back was there. And then all of a sudden, I was on the other side of the, uh, of the home. And oh, I, I don't know if you've ever heard you know, automatic weapon fire up close, but it's absolutely terrifying. Um, it's almost an assault on your senses. It's not just a noise, it's an assault on your senses. To the, you just, you can't even, it does something in your head where you can't recognize what is going on, you just know something really wrong is happening. And so I came running to the front of the house and I looked in her office and I could see the shadow of the person firing the weapon while she was on the ground as I'm screaming to her to stay on the ground. But meanwhile, one of our housemates was in the driveway And they were firing over her car. And she had gotten so nervous when she went to hit reverse, she hit neutral, so the car wouldn't move. And so the gunfire was flying right over her car. And so it was a really traumatic moment in our community, um, but one of, of many that have happened over the years. And so how do you, like, rectify being in a situation like that? And for me, and it's something I want to share today, is that much like we see in any conflict, we have to understand that there's human beings. And human beings come with a story. And and in their story, if we stop and listen to their story, we find out that there's a reason they are the way they are. And so part of the, the, the thing that we can learn from this is that we can learn to have a more loving and empathetic society, which is obviously important, but we can start to recognize that there's things about ourself and our story that maybe we haven't told yet, and that if we finally realized that these things in our story, we could actually change and be more free as, as the person... That God created us to be, because that story could begin to get healed. So I didn't plan on telling that. Before I get started, I need to say you're having surgery this, this week, is that right? Thursday. Thursday. Uh, when we were praying for you, I felt strongly from the Lord that you will be healed, that the pain will be gone, and you will not go back to the medication that you fought off for so many years, that you will be free, and you'll be free in such a rapid way that it will be a powerful testimony because you will walk out of that surgery as a free yield man. Come on. Yeah. So let me just tell you this a little bit. I am um, yeah, I wrote a book called The Uncovery Last year with Britt Eaton, and I wrote another book with her called The Uncovery Devotional, which you can purchase in the lobby, so please do, or you can get them on Amazon. That's my, my little spiel. But the powerful thing about those books is that they're a a collection of stories of real-life ministry um, and and what happens when you do real-life ministry. So what I hope to, to share with you people here today is that I have three main points. And the first is that we are all in recovery, and recovery is the gospel. Shame and judgment keep the world broken. And the answer to the pain in the world is connection. And what I really hope that you leave here today with is that no matter who you are, if you grasp the concepts I share with you today, you can find deeper levels of freedom. To represent Jesus, we can all do more and we're already equipped to do so. And it's only authentic relationships and community that we can reach our true potential. You see, I believe that it's time to reclaim our authentic selves because there is no true recovery, no true freedom without walking as your true authentic self. So who here is in recovery? Raise your hands. Okay. It's early. Let's get the blood flowing. Even though the music was great, could everybody put your hands up? Let's get the blood flowing. Everybody's got your hands up. All of you are in recovery. Amen. You just don't know it yet. You see, there's so much pain and confusion in the world and in the church in general that we don't recognize that we're in recovery from something. But the truth is, here's the deal. Okay, so if we know a couple basic facts. First off, we know that um, in Jeremiah, um, it says that you know, God knew us before the foundations of the world. And then we know in Colossians, it says that we are holy, perfect, and blameless. So if we know that God knew us and called us holy, perfect, and blameless before the foundations of the world, then there's nothing that we can do in the span of this time that can change that. Right? Nothing. But we have to recognize that things happen to us in this life that alter God's perfect creation. But they don't alter who you are as being good, perfect, holy, and blameless. A good person doing bad things is different than just being a bad person in a major way. So I want to set a little bit of a Genesis-style framework. So I realize... I am I'm honored to 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 be here today but I'm honored to speak in front of all different types of people and so just this past week I was up in in Minnesota and I spoke at a conference for addiction and faith in front of psychiatrists and counselors and people from mainline denominations and all sorts of i was the only charismatic there but there was all sorts of other denominations and an interesting crowd a lot of people in recovery a lot of people representing the recovery community um then just this past tuesday i taught a bible study at a at the timothy initiative which is a obvious recovery community and then thursday i i taught at the lutheran church i taught the theology of the theology of recovery uh, to the Lutheran church. That's a wide range of different people, right? And so, you, you know, um, and I'm also in the process of uh, possibly doing an online course for the Greek Orthodox Church, okay? So how can I just, this little old me, this guy in recovery, um, talk to these different people? Because I don't get separated by... Denominational beliefs, for one. I don't get dragged into, should it be full immersion baptism or splash baptism or no baptism or adult baptism? I don't, none of that is my concern. That's for the disciples of that particular church. But I can talk about Jesus because I know Jesus. I know Jesus who raised me from the dead, and I've seen him. And if I get too close to the edge, somebody say, stop. <laughs> um, and I know... That, stop, somebody's like, stop now. My wife's like, please, Lord, don't let him fall off. I've made it to 12 years of marriage. I'd like to see 13. Today, my wife and I celebrate 12 years. It's our anniversary. Thank you, my love, for this exciting life that we have. You know, um, when Chuck was sharing about uh, the, the giving thing that he was talking about, you know, um, and I'm gonna me- mess it up, but I, uh, what was the first part? There was the second part was the impoverished and the first affliction. affliction. First part, you know, it being afflicted. And the second part being poverty, uh, add those two together and it brings to generous um, joy, right? Generosity and joy. And that has been our marriage. Um, we've never cared about money we don't have any money. Um, <laughs> you know, I live in a, we live in a very humble home in the inner city of Tampa in a very high crime poverty area. Um, so it's amazing what you can do when you're willing to sacrifice everything for the love of Jesus. Yes. It's, it's just powerful, not just what you can do, but what you can go through, Right. And I'll get to more of that in a second, but let me get back to my Genesis illustration. As I've talked to a lot of these different people groups, and just last week, somebody talked about, you know, um, original sin, and I was really blown away because I have not considered original sin uh, for a long time, but it came up a lot, and, and I was like, it really didn't dawn on me that a lot of what I say sort of is an answer to that. So here's what happens. We go to the book of Genesis, and we see unfold some things that happen that can help us understand our problems today. All right? So we first, you know, we we see how, you know, the serpent deceives Eve and says that you can be like God. Right? Um, So Eve goes with it and wants to be like God, and so that happens. And then it's just a few verses later that we see God walking through the garden in the cool of the day, calling out, saying, you know, where are you guys? We usually take our stroll together. Where are you? And, and, and you know, then all of a sudden they're like, well, we, we, we were hiding. First off, obviously God knew where they were. He's God. But, but you know, he says, why are you hiding? And it says, we were naked. And so God says this really, really important thing. He says, who told you you were naked? Now, I want you to think of this in modern times for yourself. Who told you you were a drug addict? Who told you you were worthless? Who told you you were crazy? Who told you you deserved to be poor? Who told you whatever's going on in your life? Who told you that? Because it was a lie. It was a lie. Because when she responded, when Adam and Eve responded, they were talking about their very being being naked. But God was like, no, that's, that's not the case, right? And so when you think of things that have been pronounced over you being who you are, they're, they're lies because you're not that, okay? And it's really important to understand that part of the story, but it's also really important to understand that a few verses even prior to all of this, God said, it's not good for man to be alone, right? Now, that's often used in, in terms of like marriage, and, and it's a beautiful thing to say. I bring these two together, for it's not good for man to be alone, but he's actually talking about community. He's talking about relationships with one another. I doubt God very much would just say it's not good for man to be alone just because of marriage because God designed us for relationship with one another. God brought us together by the power of the cross to be able to be in relationship with each other and with God the Father. That's how much it matters to him. So we we know that the community aspect matters, but then... The very important thing that happened and happens to us today is that he pronounced that if you ate of the tree, you would be like God. And we are like God. And this is where the problem happens. Being like God without the wisdom of God. causes judgment in areas that we have no room to judge. And when we pronounce judgment that is not ours to pronounce, we leap shame onto people. We become the one that said, who, who called you naked? Well, we did, Right? We did. That was us, people. We're the ones who call people things. Because we think we're like God. Because we're given the opportunity, because of what happened when we ate of the tree, to be like God. You have that authority. Now, you maybe can't wrap your mind around it because you think, like, I can't really determine other things for other people, but you can. Your words matter. Man, I, I come in here today. This is such a loving place. I mean, I had people saying such nice things to me. And, you know, it's just—it's beautiful. It's like, I, you know, I get this big head. I go home, and my wife's like, uh-uh, no. Nope. So. <laughs> I know you. <laughs> I know you. So don't so it's it's shake your head off of that. But this is great. I come in here. But you can pronounce over people things. And that's the power of being like God's. And we can't change that since the fall. That's what we've been given. We can just recognize we don't have the wisdom of God to decide things. So we're called because of Jesus. Jesus comes into the picture and tries to make everything right. By showing us the power of the cross. The power of love and forgiveness. Because that same ability that we have to declare things over people is to forgive people. It's to release the shame that we've put on to people. You see, I'll give you a little secret. At the heart of addiction, there's a lack of connection. And so anytime you see addiction, I can promise you that the opposite of that addiction would be connection. And when we think of drug addicts or alcoholics, that's kind of easy to see. So you end up becoming a drug addict or an alcoholic. You separate yourself from loved ones. You separate yourself from people that care about you. What you really need is connection. But I can promise you, it's the same thing with mental health issues, with suicidal thoughts. With just about anything that you feel makes you unworthy. It's this lack of connection. And so we have to figure out how can we connect with one another. So I got a text from... Um, a friend, I'd asked him to come today, and, and he's like, I wish I could. I, I couldn't make it. He goes, but I need you to tell Chuck something for me. He said, and i paraphrasing and not saying his name out of privacy, but he said, tell Chuck that a few years ago, his words are still imprinted on my heart, and they gave me hope and faith at a really, really painful time of struggle when I was feeling lost, and his words carried me through because they were imprinted on my heart. Now, what you don't know is this individual has been burned by the church. His family has been burned by the church. They will not walk into a church. But he wanted Chuck to know that. So here's the thing. We see in Deuteronomy, we see in Proverbs we see this whole idea of words imprinted on your heart. We all, we've seen that, right? Um, Proverbs 7.3, it says, tie, bind the words on your fingers and imprint them on your heart. Deuteronomy, it's like, put these on your doorpost and imprint them on your heart. I heard something last week, I can't claim it as my own, but it was really powerful. And, and the person said, you ever wonder why God would say imprint them on your heart? And not just say, put them in your heart. Because he wants your heart to break for those that are lost. So that the words fall into your heart. So church, does your heart break for those that you judge? Does your heart break for the Palestinians? Does your heart break for the drug addict that you're afraid of? does your heart break for the guy that was in my driveway shooting an AK-47 at someone else? Because if you can't see another person as a life with a story, your heart will never break. And you can protect yourself from being too, you know, um, influenced the wrong way or, you know... Uh, anything like that, or putting yourself in any type of danger, but you're also never ever gonna get the hearts of uh, the heart of God that He printed on your heart into your heart. Those words that He wants inside your heart, they won't go there if your heart can't break. And that's a hard thing to swallow, right? So a few years ago, I had this opportunity to teach a supernatural ministry class um, over the summer to uh, an organization I was part of that was not charismatic by any stretch of the means. So I'm a charismatic. I was able, you know, they're like, go for it. It was a six-week class, something like that. And there, you know, I got to teach on, you know, prophecy and speaking in tongues and healing and, you know, all of the all the gifts of the spirit, you know, the healing ministry and all of these things. And so in my preparation, I was like, okay, bust out some Randy Clark. Let's see, you know, his five-step method of healing. Chris Balaton, his prophetic ministry. You know, I got it all. And, it, and I realized something. I'm like, these are all steps to do something. Powerful steps. But here's what I recognize, and this is something that is so true in every aspect. If you don't have a solid identity in Christ, then all the steps in the world don't matter. And if a person doesn't know who they are and what they've been given and what they carry, then all the steps don't matter. And so I could stand in front of a group of people and teach them these steps, but if they don't see themselves as beloved sons, beloved daughters well, then they're going to think of it as an, in a legalistic way or probably think you're crazy and the stuff isn't going to work because that's not an authority that they've been given. It's not an authority that you, don't, that, that you know that you have. But the, the principle is the same in understanding recovery, understanding our identity, understanding that in the creation of time, we were all good. And so that everything that happened after that that kept us from that being good is, is the issue with our identity. So any deliverance ministry, anything like that, it's always about getting back to the heart of our identity. Amen. Amen. That's right. All of it. And so it's like... I did deliverance ministry. Me and Len, I had a wonderful time over at Len's house. He invited me over. We, he cooked me steak and him and I spent a few hours together. It was beautiful. I'm like, wow, this guy doesn't even know me, and he's allowing me in his house. I don't think he's locked up his stuff or anything, so his, his wallet's there on the table. He trusts me. Um, you know, wow, this is amazing. So, you know, but him and I got talking about we actually know some of the same people in deliverance ministry, um, and we have went through Paul and Claire Hollis's ministry and, 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 you know, so I know all about naming demons and naming situations and all of that. I still do some of the same nightly prayers and morning prayers, the warfare prayers they are beautiful, but it's still, if you don't know your identity, none of that matters. None of it matters. And so I realized this interesting thing in my time of working in the Timothy Initiative, the organization I founded back in 2009, is that I could take these hardcore drug addicts that had been kicked in and out of every drug rehab and somehow lead them to multiple years of recovery. So here's the thing. If you don't know anything about recovery, let me tell you this, that typically eight out of 10 fail, okay? That's the normal statistics. Eight out of 10 do not make it in recovery. They don't make it to a year. And for one reason or another, we were able to start seeing this tremendous success where guys were making it to two years, three years, four years. I have a couple guys in the audience right now that are at eight and a half years. I mean, for real, yeah, definitely. <laughs> but I realized that it was never about like, the stuff I taught them about recovery, it was always the stuff about identity. And, and not just teaching a person about identity. Here's the mistake that people make. I, I can, <laughs> I'm going to say this as nicely as I can. The mistake we made is, make is we teach really great principles about things, but we don't live them out. So I can tell you you're a new creation, but then I don't have anything to do with you the six days of the week that I don't see you. It's always meant to be lived out in community. It's always meant to be lived out in relationship with each other. So I can't tell you you're a new creation. I can't tell you to renew your mind. I can't tell you things. I can't tell you stuff that belongs on a refrigerator magnet. Can't, and then not live it out. And so what it was, was living out a person's identity 24/7 is what was making the difference but it made the difference nonetheless, right? And so the idea of understanding what it means to be in recovery will help everybody here live that out with others if I can give you a better picture of it. And so this is one of those moments where I get on the stage and I realize I don't know how things work in a place. So <laughs> could, you, could you put up Colossians 3, 1 through 17, um, if, if that's how I'm supposed to do this? I don't know if it is. Anyways, Colossians three through one through seventeen. Now, here's what I want you to see. I'm sorry, not Colossians. I apologize. Galatians five thirteen through twenty five. So, in Galatians five thirteen through twenty five, we see something. It talks to him about brothers and sisters were called to be free. Do not use your freedom to indulge your flesh. Serve one another in love. We see all of that. But here's the verses that I bet most of you non-addicts think of addicts as. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, Dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God, right? Most people think of drug addicts and people in in recovery as this group of people. And that's fair to some degree. I remember my very first rehab, never was a Christian, and so they showed me this, and I was like, yep, I've done all those some of them last week. So, so that is fair to some degree. And it's easy going back to the, to the Garden of Eden to, to, to judge, put, your, put yourself in the position of God and think of, okay, I'm not those people. And that's recovery. Now let's put up Colossians 3, uh, 1 through 14. But here's why we're all in recovery. Because this group of people, and I'm not sure if it's up there, so bear with me. Um, Maybe this is a little bit more like you. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Um, Immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, idolatry, lying, slander, filthy language, rage, malice. It's a little bit easier to see yourself in the second group. Maybe, and I mean this in, in a pure way, but maybe a lot of you in here never really thought about orgies or sexual like debauchery like that. But this one probably told a little bit of lies, right? You probably, maybe a little bit greedy. Who here would like their PNL, personal PNL, put up on front of everybody, saying, "Judge me on what I spend on myself and what I actually give." Judge me, how much do I trust God by? Am I trusting God or am I making sure that 80% is in my 401k? But I don't have any money for the church, who obviously is in need right now. But my 401k is good. Where's the trust in God in that? The point is if we can see ourselves in this other group, we can recognize that maybe I am in recovery. You see, the truth is, when we see that everything in us that was, we were created good and then everything that happened afterwards is not of God, we should recognize that the moment we accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we enter into recovery, no matter who you are, because you're trying to shed off every lie that has prevented you from being who he called you to be. And we teach that in discipleship, right? So recovery to me is just a discipleship. It's just discipleship 101. It's like any disciple would come in and you'd say, these are your new, your new identity, this is who you are, but we don't recognize that as recovery. And it's important, and, and here's the thing, the reason I'm trying to drive this home is because those of us that are, are in the typical recovery from addiction- I was a heroin addict, I was an alcoholic, I tried to kill kill myself six times. I have a sister and brother, both died from drug overdoses in the same year. I was a drug addict, I was the kind that you think of, okay? But it's no different when all of us come to Jesus and we're now these Christians and we're now trying to walk in this new way of living. And we're trying to shed every false identity that has been placed upon us. And when we can see that we're all in it together, that can make it so much more powerful. Because when I think that I'm only relegated to your church basement on Sunday nights at 8 when no one else is around, when I think I have to be anonymous, which I totally shed that anonymity, obviously, I'm standing on a stage. But the reality is because what I've seen work is lives coming together, doing life together. That's what works. But it can work for you too. So here's the thing. I don't know if you know anything about trauma and you know anything about what they call the adverse childhood experiences test. But that is basically this test that weighs out 10 different ways that you could have been traumatized as a child. And it's a simple yes or no answer. And if you go through this checklist, and if you've scored a four or more, then you're 700% more likely to become a drug addict and have health consequences later on in life. You're 1,200% more likely to attempt suicide in your life. So it's a simple 10 questions. But what we know is that when we can see the trauma that happens to a person, Well, then we have a way to identify what do we need to do in order to help that person. But coming to you, if you may not think of yourself in that group, who here has ever asked God to take away something that he didn't take away? God, help me stop lying. This is not hypothetical. Who here has ever asked God to take something away? (laughs) Work with me, people. (laughs) And he didn't take it away. Okay, did you ever think that maybe God doesn't take something away because he wants you to heal something? And you won't be totally free if he just takes away the behavior. That's right. So it's, a ba- it's, it's basic behavior modification versus transformation, right? It's discipleship. Versus recovery when they're the same, when we see the goal is transformation. So recovery is not just about being sober. And discipleship is not just about being a Christian. Because if you don't actually become transformed, I would say that you're not actually a Christian or in recovery. And that's a hard pill to swallow. You can come to church and say you're a Christian, but... If you're not allowing yourself to truly be healed and set free from everything, man, let me tell you a verse that might scare your socks off. Never said that publicly, scare your socks. (laughs) Mental note, re-look at video, did that work? So there's this powerful powerful interaction Jesus is having with people that they come up to him and they say, Lord, Lord, for we delivered in your name and we made new believers in your name. And Jesus says, away from me, for I did not know you. Doesn't that scare you? Yes. scares me. Why would Jesus say, I did not know you? Why would Jesus say, I did not know you? Because he calls us to radical, transformative freedom. Radical, transformative healing. And if you're constantly like, Lord... Help me stop lying. Lord, help me not be greedy. And you're not instead saying, God, why do I lie? When did I start lying? When did I become so greedy? What happened in my life, Lord? Take me back there. See, God stands outside of time. Stands outside of time. And he can meet us anywhere in time. I don't know if you're familiar with Sozo, but it's a wonderful healing practice. But it takes you back and reveals that God was there with you in the moment that whatever happened to you happened to you. And he wants you to see him there. Because it goes back to, like I said before, it's about connection. And most of the pain that we feel in our lives and that we keep to ourselves is because we think it's ours. Maybe we deserved it. We had it coming, but something happened in our life, and we feel like we were all alone. And because of that, we don't reach out. We don't walk in radical, transformative community. We walk in superficial niceties, but we don't walk in that healing. And we run that risk of of the Lord saying, away from me, for I did not know you. And if nothing else, we don't walk in that true healing, right? So when we can get to the heart of what it is that causes us to do the thing we're trying to change, that's when we can actually begin to heal. And that is powerful. So in my book, The Uncovery, I I talk about this three-step process of asking the right questions, inviting the Holy Spirit, and then taking the next steps. So anytime that you're walking with someone that is struggling with suicide, struggling with addiction, it's always about that three-step process and whatever variation that you have to play it out. And it's important that you realize these things because Len and I had this beautiful conversation the other night and we were talking about the book and I will warn you, it's a hard read because when I was writing the book, I was like, I could make it nice, or I could make it authentic. And a lot of Christian books tell you this beautiful story of how things work out, and more people die in my book than live. But it's real ministry work, and so if you want to know about real ministry work, read the book. But it's hard. I mean, Len said three times in this short phone call, he's like, man, you would lift me up so high? And then... I so low. <laughs> you know, he's like, I found myself crying, and I don't cry. But that's the reality, right? That's, that's this, this idea that we're supposed to be walking as Jesus in the world. And I said to, to Len on that call, I said, here's the thing. Why suicide is so important to me. I lost, I've lost a lot of people to suicide. Um, I like five in one year, and... Two in one week. But the point, it's important to me, is that suicide's one of those things that you can't wait till it happens to get prepared. I need people to know they need to be prepared before it happens. Because if you wait till somebody in your life is suicidal and then try to get prepared, it's a little late, people. It's a little late. We have to be prepared ahead of time. And and let me say this, God has equipped you and given you everything that you need to do any ministry. He's looking for willing people to step out in faith and do the work. I want to dispel something really quick. My wife does not ride my coattails at all. I ride hers. I'm just the public figure, so people think it's the other way. And it's important that you know this because most people think that we do the ministry we do because I'm in recovery from addiction. She's not. She left her high-paying job living in a gated community to move into the inner city when we were not together. So don't think she just moved and now is my little sidekick. That is not the case (laughs) at all. And do not tell her she's a saint for being with me because <laughs> they did that at the last conference. It's, it's, you're such a saint for me. And it makes her feel like, okay, I have my own full-fledged ministry separate from him doing my own work. But I need you to hear that, not because I am trying to boast about my wife. I love her very much, and it's our anniversary. But don't think that I can do this ministry because of my background, because she doesn't have that background. So you too can do this. But there's a key to it. And that is community. You have to have community around you. I can sit here. My wife and I have been married 12 years. And my friend Lindsay sitting over there. She lived with us for 10 of them. She, only, she got married and finally moved in with her husband. But, <laughs> who was also from the Timothy Initiative. We live in intentional community. And I know that may sound a little crazy. But I literally, like right now, we have 10 or 11 people living with us. But we've over the years we've had 60 people in and out. And we live in this little area of, of Tampa that is, yeah, high crime and high poverty, but it's not just my wife and I doing it alone. It's a community of people. And why is that is so important? And I hadn't planned on reading this, but when Chuck got up here and he was talking about where you guys are at as a church, something just really hit me. And I and I just wanted to really read this other part where he was. Chuck was talking about, um, I think he was going into Corinthians, but I think another verse that is so important is in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 and 43. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship of breaking bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone in need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, breaking bread and in their homes, eating together. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. If you're willing to live like that, God will add to your number. If you're willing to live like that, God will carry you through the most difficult of times. As a community, we've seen people die in tragic ways. We've seen high crime in the area. We constantly have people pounding on our door asking for money. We constantly have people in need. But because we're together as a community, we can support one another. We can be there through thick and thin together. And that's the power. And what I hope to impart on you guys today is a new sense of freedom because if you recognize that you can do the three-step process I just talked about to yourself, about yourself, and God will deliver you. He will show you. Why do I lie? Holy Spirit, welcome into this. He will give you the next steps. Why am I so greedy? Holy Spirit, come into this give me the next steps why do i fear god holy spirit come into this give me the next steps and you can be free see the trauma that happened in your life you may not think is trauma but something caused you to be any way other than god's plan so if god called you good and he called you holy and he called you perfect and you don't behave like that so what happened you've asked god to take it he hasn't taken it away What happened? You walk in radical community with each other so that people can hold you accountable. People can walk with you. You can have difficult conversations with each other. You can carry the load for one another. And that is the power of community. God's community. And I think for all of us, we need that, don't we? So... I'm going to share a short story and I'm going to tone it down. But this shows you the power of getting to the heart of something. Because it is my anniversary and we've been together 12 amazing years and we came together to change the world for Jesus. If you think of things bigger than yourself, God will show you things bigger than yourself. If you marry someone just for yourself, then you might not see that. So... My wife and I were dating, and everybody had told us we should be together, and I knew we should be together, but I had this sneaking fear. This is back a while ago. I'd been sober for a little while, but I had this fear that I couldn't be faithful. I'd had a lot of trauma in my life. I had not been faithful in my life, and I didn't think I could be faithful now. And I wasn't going to put this amazing woman of God through that so I ended the relationship. Rather than knowing the three-step process like I just showed you guys, I just ended it. And so while we were separated, I was working with someone. I, as a, I'm a coach and a counselor and a you know, person that walks people through things. Um, and I was walking someone through sex addiction. And He was sharing something that had happened to him, but he was sharing it in a way that was not traumatic at all. And I said, do you realize what happened there? And he said, no, that's... Oh, wow. I guess that was abuse. I didn't realize that. I was like, yeah, man, I can't believe you didn't see that. So I was in my private time with God a little while after that, and God all of a sudden, hey, that thing I showed you about him... Let me show you something about you. And something had happened to me back when I was 12 that I'd always written off as something else because it was easy. But God showed me what it really was. And once I was able to see the abuse that had happened to me, I was able to ask God to heal me and to take me through that process. And here's the thing. I was not trying to do anything to get back together with Julie at the time. I had already made that decision that that we were supposed to not be together. But when God healed me from that, he said, now you're ready to be a husband. After recognizing the trauma that had happened in my life, asking the Holy Spirit to heal me from that trauma and reveal to me all of the things I needed to do to heal, I was able to be a different person. And now we've been married 12 years today. And I can tell you it's only because of me being willing to walk into the things that have happened to me in the past to become set totally free and to walk free from that from that day forward. And you too can do the same thing. It doesn't have to be that traumatic. But if there's some behavior that you have that you don't want and you can't seem to get rid of, there's a root cause to it. Because you're good, holy, perfect, and blameless in yourself. Be willing to sacrifice. Be willing to walk in that freedom. And God will honor you in that. Could you guys stand for me? I want to... I want to call you guys to this, this belief that I have. that I don't care. It doesn't matter who you are and it doesn't matter what you do. That I firmly believe that you can do more and that you can be more in the eyes of Jesus, that he's already equipped you to do more. I know that you guys make a, a huge deal about community here, but I think that you can go deeper. I think that you can live more sacrificially for one another, and I'm calling you to that today. I think there's ministry ideas some of you have had but do not feel equipped to do, and I'm calling you today to do that. There's things that you've feared that I'm just declaring right now that that fear be gone. I have friends that are here right now that are preparing to go to Africa And I'm just declaring that right now, whatever fears that they may have, that they be set free from that, that they are ready to go. Whether it's moving to the inner city, whether it's staying here and welcoming the stranger into your home, fear must go. And so right now, I just declare in the name of Jesus, by the Holy Spirit vested in me, that you are missionaries, that you were called to a higher level of community and a deeper level of transformative freedom, and that right now the Holy Spirit, which is alive and moving inside of each one of you, will be active today, giving you visions of what is to come, giving you a heart for those that you have feared in the past, an understanding of each other's stories that you've never had, and a deeper revelation of your own story so that you can begin to walk out new freedom yourself. So, Father, I just declare right now that we have missionaries that are going to change the world for you, that they are going to change this city and beyond the city, Lord God. I'm declaring right now that there's marriages in this room that have only been seen as being selfish for each other and will begin to recognize that they were called to be together for the world, that they were called to be a a difference maker in this kingdom. And I'm just declaring right now that there may be marriages in this room that are struggling, and the reason they're struggling is because they're only looking at each other and not looking at the work of the kingdom before them. And then when they take their eyes off of each other and put their eyes on you and what you're doing, that they can begin to see their marriage as more than a Hallmark card. Because it's never a Hallmark card. And so, Father, I am just declaring right now that hearts in this room are set ablaze for you and for the work that you've called them to. And I just declare right now, in Jesus' name, that these are your people, Lord God, and they will change the world for you. Thank you, Father.
2: So I, um, I did call. George this past week and and I had to I had to talk to him about about the book because um, I, I live this book I grew up in a world where my family was addicted to drugs alcohol sex violence and um, so as I was reading this book I was seeing cousins I was seeing my mom, I was seeing my dad, I was seeing my sisters, I was seeing best friends. And I saw his stories of some of these getting free. And I was so elated thinking, wow, I wish I could have given this to them. And then he would tell stories of those who took their life or who died of drug overdoses, whose alcoholism, caused their stomachs to to bloat and they died of liver failure, heart attacks, and I remember those too. So uh, the the book really really hit me, hit me hard. And, and my rebellion as a teenager was I said I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to do drugs. I'm not going to end up in prison. That was my rebellion to my family and the friends I grew up with. So but I had I had other addictions. I, I just they just popped out other places. I was a control freak. I was a perfectionist. I was driven. Performance had to be the best at everything in class. I had to get not just an A, the best, the greatest grade. Do you see? It just it was a different addiction. It just popped out somewhere else. This driven personality. You couldn't have imagined what it would have been like to have been married to me. You want to talk about grace as Robin Kelly <laughs> Steed Harper. That's grace. So, what George is saying is, we are all in recovery. Your recovery just looks different. Maybe you chose not addiction or sexual immorality or alcohol or whatever because that's what you saw. And I'm not going to be that. But then it pops out over here. So, I want to encourage you to, to get this book and to read it. Uh, it really does focus on addiction, on, on, on mental uh illness and i grew up with with that with with suicide depression uh and also um you know really how to begin to recognize the signs of people who are struggling with suicide they're not going to tell you by the way they just don't tell you so um yeah if you want to you want to be at be at times where you're like yeah go jesus and oh man (laughs) it it gets you both and then I really loved his approach, you know, our restoration manual. It's like I told George, you know, we are really coming at the same yep. place. You know, uh, I'm ministering more to, to lead pastors, you know, and trying to help them. My, my, my vision is very simple. If lead pastors are healthy, they'll lead healthy churches, and healthy mm-hmm. churches will fulfill what God called those churches to do. Yeah. So I'm working with pastors you know, and he's working on the other side, yeah. but we're both working with people who are broken. Yeah, yeah. They're just broken in different ways. Yeah, um, These lead pastors have just, like myself, they've learned to, to control their behaviors and, and their emotions, yeah. but they're really out of control. So uh, he wrote this book, too. Um, it's a 365-day devotional because transformation is not take this Jesus pill and you're going to be okay and you're going to wake up tomorrow different. We, ask, we have to stop saying that to people. It, you know, transformation is a process. It's a, it's a renewing of your mind. It, it is deliverance. It is healing. So I really encourage you to, to begin the process. And then uh, last night I decided, well, let me look at this, this thing. Cause I read this last night. Oh, yeah. Awesome. And this is really <laughs> practical stuff for like missional communities. Uh, this yeah. would be really good for your missional community to, to buy several of these and to go through it together so yeah. you can learn really how to help all of us, because all of us are in recovery. Amen. Just, just some of us, recovery is, is more obvious to others. You know, actually, mine was, was, was elevated, working all the time, not sleeping much, performing well. See, my addictions was just elevated in our society. Do you see that? But it wasn't relying upon Jesus. It was relying upon Lynn. My, my philosophy in life was, if it was to be, it's up to me. Yeah. That was my philosophy of life. And, and me and Jesus could do it, but me was first. Yeah. yeah. And I believe that. Me and Jesus could do anything. And Jesus still blessed me. It was amazing. So um, this opened the door for us as a church to really step forward. I hope that um, you won't forget and that we'll really, really, really look at each other differently. We we'll really look at each other differently, because the Bible says that if anyone be in Christ, they are a new creation. Yeah. All the old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. See in heaven, you are a new creation. All He sees is your new creation. You know those four words. four words? Yeah, the, uh, who we are.
1: Oh, <laughs> oh, holy, perfect, and blameless. Holy, perfect, and yes.
2: blameless. Yeah, that's the new creation. Hey, that's have how grace God's for is. me, man. Yeah. <laughs> so George, would you just, just yeah. stand right here. Father, uh, except for going back to Adam and Eve, Lord George and I don't have the same blood. We're not, we're not relatives. But Lord, there, here are two men who had traumatic childhoods, and one popped out on one side and one popped out on the other. But both of us were a mess. And and you know, growing up with cousins and, and a sister who popped out more like George. I understand George. So Father, everyone in this auditorium is either George Wood or Len Harper. It just depended on how, how they, they allowed their trauma to affect them. So Lord, we're, we're standing as representatives And we're saying there is hope. There is hope in Jesus. So George and I are saying there is hope in Jesus. So we thank you, God, for sending George to those places that you would go to Jesus. Mm -hmm. We ask, Father, that as you send him, that we say to the enemy, you can't touch him. You can't bring retribution against him. For God has given George power and authority to trample upon snakes and scorpions, representatives of the enemy, and to overcome all the powers of the enemy so that nothing by any means can harm George's enemy. You can't, you can't bring retribution against George and Julie and this ministry because he is going into the kingdom of darkness and bringing people into light. So Father, we, we, we throw confusion into the camp of the enemy that the enemy won't even be able to focus. It'll just be confusion. He won't be able to focus. He can't target George and Julie and their ministry. Mm-hmm. Holy Spirit, we pray for just fresh, refreshing. Lord, that's what I was sensing as George was preaching, that you want to refresh him. Lord, as as Jesus needed. to go into the mountainside to be refreshed then we need refreshing so that I release refreshing refreshing in his soul in his mind in his motions in his will in his spirit in his body seasons of refreshing refreshing I release refreshing I release it I release it I release it you are a good good father we don't have to beg you to be good We just receive your goodness. We position ourselves to receive goodness. God bless you. Can we just give it up for George? Thank you, Lord, for him.